Hello and welcome to the Last Alliance University of Alberta Tolkien Society podcast. Join us this year as we follow the adventures of two small and very important ring bearers in The Hobbit and the Fellowship of the Ring. Did I tell you about that dream I had about the time-traveling Catholic Church? I don't think no, so. No, but I'm really curious now. It's just like, I had this dream, and it was like a series of like anthology dreams almost, with certain different main characters, but then as the dreams progressed, there'd be specific people from the other group, like, it was all the same dream, but the other, I guess, uh, anthology, fiction, story thing that would show up briefly, and then through this chain of events, when you get to the end and it, there's like this big reveal, the person who was showing up the most was this woman who was in some sort of like post-apocalyptic future and she was going to be like run down by some Mad Max motorcycle type gang Nice. and then somebody appeared to save her and take her away and then you find out that in this doomed timeline the Catholic Church figured out time travel and then removed themselves from time so that they could uh, do like a guardian angel program <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, and I just feel happy that you have been the entire time. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was the strangest, most wonderful dream. <laughs> like Doctor Who, saving people across the cosmos and time who need help. Yeah, except if the Catholic Church started doing that, right, I switch like, out of being an Anglican. That's kind <laughs> of the job that I want now. <laughs> Somebody find me a TARDIS. <laughs> if I find a TARDIS, you're not getting it. It's fine. <laughs> Especially crotchety, and I wonder if that has anything to do with the rings. 
regardless of whether it's exacerbating things, Carrathras is just unpleasant as a person, and I like it. The mountain's a person. My other favorite thing in this chapter is right at the beginning, when the hobbits are just, like, talking in their room, and then Gandalf pokes his head in the freaking window just to diss Pippin. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> Who wants to go, Tristan or Sarah? Um, I appreciate Gimli as Loremaster Extraordinaire in this chapter. Yeah. He just, like, knows a ton of things about this place. And, I mean, admittedly, he has a bunch of heritage. He's been here once, and he's like, oh, yeah, I know that mountain. We, like, draw pictures of it on everything. That's what we do. Um, yeah. That sort of thing. I should have the t-shirts by April 2nd. one particular thing I like. Maybe just Sam again. <laughs> Sam's just a delightful character who just brings the Shire with him wherever he goes, you know? <laughs> he's, he's realized, he's, he's starting to realize that the world's so much bigger, but he's still just Sam. Just him the pony. Yeah. <laughs> just Sam and Bill make this chapter for me. I swear that pony can almost talk, and if it stays here any longer, it will. <laughs> um, we're definitely talking to plants. I, uh, yeah, I think Sam is my favorite here, too. Um, I really like his, his line about, um, and where will they live? That's what I often wonder with regards to uh, they all settled down and lived happily ever after. I, uh, I thought that was very profound and foreshadowy and other things. Thoughts are hard this late in the semester. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had two things. One is just Bilbo and his like sense of his own mortality. Where he's just like, you can tell that he thinks he's not going to be living much longer. The sense of like him bequeathing everything to Frodo, and just the the song he sings, kind of kind of tugged at my heartstrings. Is this cold dead heartstrings? Uh, the other thing is uh, just Gimli and like him talking about them the entire episode. It had gave me what I call like a Tolkien moment, where like you sit down, and you realize the author has written up an entire history of all of these things, and it's just like there's an entire like iceberg that you're not getting, and yeah, just all the dwarf names for the mountains. Yeah, Gimli gives you the dwarf name, human name, and elf name for, like, every land form in this region. And you can just tell Tolkien, like, thought for hours about this. <laughs> <laughs> also, I can just picture Legolas and Aragorn just, like, looking at each other and realizing, oh, dang, Gimli speaks Elvish. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> he speaks Elvish names. Yeah. Maybe not on each other. Oh, that would be great. Like a historical linguistic anathema. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> we have all those linguistics. We can make him do it. End of term presentation, though. That would be a great idea. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs>
Just because elves can't keep oaths. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is that elves can keep oaths and they just do it so badly. He's like, like badly. just because keeping elves destroys elves doesn't mean that the rest of us can't do it. Dwarf, dwarves are hardier stuff. Yeah. We, we, we will survive our like, So Also, I love that we fit in. Um, and just generally the part, like all of that bit around Elrond choosing them and then sending them off. Um, and the way that different characters start to like stand out. I like that. Borg is like, I understand that after this we're going to have to be sneaky. But while I'm here, I am rolling this horn. <laughs> Just, 
not just humanness, right? But um, their Gondorianness, right? Like yeah. there's a certain part of like, this is my kinsman. Um, I think that he doesn't even get necessarily with the other rangers, right? Because like he knows he's not really one of them. Like, he is, but he belongs to Gondor. Um, you know, that, it's just that sense of this guy's from. It's like whenever I meet anyone from Northern Alberta. <laughs> There's like an ethno nationality to it. There, there is. I mean, yeah, it is like very notable that Boromir is just very warm and very like open hearted. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, someone like Denethor is like gonna be like, who's that weirdo from the north? I don't, he's different. Whereas Boromir is like, yeah, maybe he's a bit weird, but like, I get him. I get where he's coming from. And he knows. I'm just imagining Boromir now as just like a gym rat. Like one of those guys who's like super cheery and like super accepting of everyone, and then is like at the gym every day.
like as soon as there's something he can do, he's just like really happy about it. Like in the same way that kind of Boromir and Aragorn are, and even Gimli, like he's like, I know something. Which I like how, and I like how in the even in the interactions between Gandalf and Legolas, there's like an interesting dynamic going on where Gandalf is a little bit like, ugh, elf, and Legolas is like, yeah. <laughs> two different kind of danger and 
that's why at this moment legal access is like I won't say carefree but like a bit less frightful than it could be. Where? I mean that's gonna come up in a very interesting capacity in like the next reading. Because like this is a reaction to the Balrog is kind of hilarious. Like he literally just goes like I a Balrog and then like screams and throws himself off the ground. Like, <laughs> it's just like ah! <laughs> it's kind of incredible. Yeah. Um, that should have been in the Jackson one. Yes. Kind of like another thing to build off that idea of the cinder, like the like the woods and elves and the remaining people being really different. Um, and also like whether Legolas had friends with Rivendell. I don't think Legolas didn't have any friends with Rivendell, just that they were all a lot older than him. And so it's kind of like when you have a friend and they're like 15 and it's like, I like you, but you have no idea what life is. Um, yeah. <laughs> Are you serious? Do you actually think that's a viable solution? It's delightful. <laughs> 
Like the white yeah. sandwich. Yeah. Um, all right, okay. Building off of that, what did you guys think of the conflict between Aragorn and Gandalf in this chapter? In that Aragorn is the one who wants to avoid. Like, Aragorn is kind of leading at this point. Like, Gandalf is deferring to Aragorn while also constantly nagging him. Like, okay, we'll go to Carabras, but are you sure? Are you sure we don't want to go to Moria? Like, that is Gandalf to Aragorn this entire chapter, and I was wondering what you guys thought about that. Um, it makes sense for Gandalf to be deferring to Aragorn here. Gandalf is still Gandalf the Grey, the advisor. He's not a leader at this point, and he doesn't want to be, and he shouldn't be, really. Um, that's not where his gifts are supposed to lie. Um, so, the other thing is, I think we get a little bit of prophecy Aragorn here, which is just like, he doesn't have a real good reason to say, no, we shouldn't go to Moria. He's like, I've got a bad feeling about going to Moria. Um, which, again, will come up later in the next reading. Um. It does make it, like, very interesting that there's a very different effect to Gandalf wanting to avoid Moria and then dying there versus Gandalf being the one to want to go to Moria and then dying there. Like, that is a completely different nuance. <laughs> it makes me wonder how much foresight Gandalf has in this. Or if Legolas just had a quick conversation, or not Legolas, Elrond just had a quick conversation with Aragorn and is like, so remember how I said I couldn't see a whole lot of the future? That said, don't do Moria. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, also the, the dwarves that they lost all contact with 30 years ago or whatever it is now, it's not a good, not a good sign. Yeah, that's true. Oh, they're climbing it. It's it's going well. They have good things to say, and then no, nothing. They're gone. Maybe maybe it's not the safest part of town. I think also Aragorn is more used to knowing his limits. Aragorn does a lot of things that probably well probably spends a lot of his time doing things that skirt the end of what he's actually capable of, right? And so he's really good at looking at the situation and being like. This is a bad one that I cannot do. I will find another way, right? Um, Gandalf never encounters things that are beyond his limits. Like the first time that's ever happened to him, basically, is he suddenly met an evil Saruman. Um, so I feel like he like he's looking at Moria and is like, whatever's in there. I realize that it defeated dwarves, but like they're dwarves and I'm Gandalf. And Aragorn's like, they're dwarves and I'm. Just like this ranger guy, we're probably all gonna die. About Saruman, though, I also like kind of wondered about that, like, because Gandalf, like, Gandalf doesn't want to be discovered by Saruman. Like, I'm really wondering how much of Gandalf's like pushing for Moria has to do with staying as far away from Saruman as possible. And Aragorn doesn't have that same concern, so he still sees Caradhras as a viable option. That's fair. Yeah, I think I got a lot of that too. Like every time, like um, there was mention of spies of like going to Moria, like Gandalf was like, "Saruman is here," and 
cannot go to, to Rohan because we don't know how much power Kamala has over there. But the, and like both Aragorn and Boromir's answer to that seem to me like like the reaction Gennaf had to their own reaction was like, you don't freaking understand. Like I know Sorrow is bad, but Saruman is not like might not be as strong as Sor Sorrow, or we don't even know. But he's freaking strong, and I'm afraid of him. If he like, I only escape because when he was here, I could not escape by my own strength. So, and also, like, if wish for power and wish for the ring have turned up, like. Being as powerful as Saruman, I get why he doesn't want the ring nearby this place. It's like, yes. like even from like even the sheer idea idea of the ring turns Saruman's bad. Mm -hmm. So like the presence of the ring nearby Saruman is not even like a possibility. Yeah, because he's stronger than all of us, including me, who's the strongest of all of all of us. And we don't know anything about what he can do, how much stronger he's become, how much allies he's found. It's not, but yeah. So, and yeah, I think that every time Gennaf mentioned Moya, it seemed to me that like we need to be hidden, and like there's no better way to be hidden than under the ground where everything's there basically. But at the same time, I get why Aragorn like, well, it's a thing that destroys the most brilliant dwarven civilization. That's not nothing. Dwarves are resistant. Like the only time, like it, it like a dragon needed was needed for like taking the Lonely Mountain. Moya was much better, much bigger than the Lonely Mountain, and it got taken. What the heck is this? Yeah, I also think that to to air. Sorry, to Aragorn, Moria is by far the greater unknown. Mm -hmm. Like, Gandalf is maybe like, very shaken by what happened with Saruman and very like, worried at how the situation like, surrounding it has gone on. But also, like, you don't know what happened to the dwarves and you don't know what is in Moria. Like, you have even less of a clue. Another thing that really complicates this debate between Gandalf is the fact that they're trying to pass their mountains in winter. That is insane. That's like, if you look at European history, this kills people. This ends armies. It's like the last time this happened successfully was Hannibal, and it just crippled his army to the point where he could still win, but almost not. And just, yeah, you can kind of, one thing that I'm imagining is like, Aragorn is so afraid of Moria, or what might be Moria, he's willing to cross the mountain pass in winter. And Gandalf probably like in some is realizing you don't, one, you're going to get seen by Saruman, but you're also crossing a mountain in winter, Aragorn. Like, well, one thing though, like, the thing about that is that they're crossing Karadras in January. Eladon and El were here crossed in December. Did they? Uh-huh. Hmm. Yeah. But the elves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But there are only two of them, and they're Eladon and El here. So they're powerful, but like they're not as powerful as their father. They're not dwarf 
he has no idea like how strong they are. Like they look like children to him, and he like I think that's also why he's like so concerned about like governance because like Gandalf and Aragorn are like yeah, they've made it through something else, but they would die a hundred times. I guess they can't survive that, and like Boromir's like no, they they really can't. Like they're, no, they're, don't they're do that. Shorter. Those those kids won't do it. It's like he did research. Boromir's never met hobbits before, but he like was like got there, saw them, was like I have to channel my little brother, and then everyone else was busy figuring out the things that he was sitting on every book on hobbits. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's actually such a that's actually such a fun point. Is that Boromir has so much Big Brother energy? <laughs> oh yeah. Yes. 
kind of like jumped up to this like saving the world sort of thing. And Sam is like, I have two purposes in life. And one of them is to have a home still by the end of this, right?
I don't know if like Sam is realizing that at this point, but like, yeah, when you come back, it's like, you come back to something familiar, but at the same time you have to mourn the fact you don't come back to what it was. Like, you have changed, so you have the memories, like the fond memories of like, being in the Shire, carefree and stuff, and then you come back to the Shire, like the Shire, even if it hasn't changed, it's like, it's still calm, it's still quiet, like, hopefully, oh, obviously it will not because it's the end of the story, but like, it will come back to quiet and calm, but, yeah, like the fresh eyes again, it's like, with a fresh eye, will I still, will I be able to enjoy the, like, the, the Shire, and will I not be mourning who I was in the Shire before, and I cannot be anymore? Cool, that was profound. Uh, move forward a little bit. Okay, so, Aragorn sets out with, at the beginning of to get back and when they get back they won't tell anybody hi they won't tell anybody other than Elrond anything did anyone other than Sarah catch where they actually went they went okay thanks. it took me a long time to figure that one out <laughs> because the silver <laughs> because, isn't labeled the silver, the silver load, load isn't labeled the silver load so I didn't realize until they said until I know something about silver silver load and it didn't fail and yeah. then I went and looked and then I was like Yeah. Yes. Well, and because he brought this faux pas. 
analysis is pretty <laughs> um, <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. Like, as I read it, it's like, it's so profound, because it's like, it's not only saying like, I cannot go everywhere, it's that no matter how much I travel, I cannot see everything, because I will not have seen all season of every day in every places. And because of that, I cannot, like, let's not be sad that all that doing travels that I won't do. Because in any case, what they're gonna see, like, I will have seen other things because they won't see what I see by seeing. And it's like, Um, and 
Because it's like... Um, yeah, like when you say people who will see water that shall never know, it's like, yeah, it's again like really the limit of the individual as an individual. But at the same time, it's like, is this this, I, like, this feeling of cycling? It's like, it's gonna be always the same. Like, I have my adventure, I pass on the memories or like the lessons of my adventure, and you people will get this baggage and go on adventure and then pass it down and again and again. And sure, every, like, if you go in detail, everything is different, but if you go broader, everything is the same. So, it, it's,
starts to die of hypothermia on her address. So like, you know how when you die of hypothermia, um, at least according to accounts, like you start to feel warm? This is yeah. true, it's like all your nerves shut down so they can't feel the cold temperature. Exactly, so like that happens to Frodo, where like he felt himself sinking fast, or a great, so yeah, like you get tired because you're shutting down and you feel warm. So a great sleepiness came over Frodo. He felt himself sinking fast into a warm and hazy dream. He thought a fire was heating his toes, and out of the shadows on the other side of the hearth, he heard Bilbo's voice speaking. I don't think much of your diary, he said. Snowstorms on January the 12th. There was no need to come back to report that. But I wanted rest and sleep, Bilbo, Frodo answered with an effort, when he felt himself shaken and then Boromir like shakes him awake and is like the halflings are going to die. So there's this blurring of the lines between stories and death and Rivendell and death and journeys and death. I don't know if anyone else wanted to comment on that. I want people to explain it to me. I don't know what's going on. I think that as a whole, from the little I know compared to the two about Tolkien, or I can return to you all, I can even say uh, about Tolkien's work, it's like, Okay. 
introduce it, about how it keeps coming up in different ways, is interesting. Um, so I think it might be useful to like um, make a list of like what 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 does Tolkien think of death as far as we can see. So one, death is a gift. Death is the gift of Illuminar to man. Right? Um, it's not something to be terrified of. It's not something to be shunned at any effort. It's um, a gift. Two, um, part of the journey is the end. You know, um, and, and that I found that really, really came out in this poem. Right? Um, it's the journey only really makes sense in light of the end, and the end only really makes sense in light of the journey. You know, you need a story to make sense of death. But well, that comes out in Frodo's daydreaming um, on Paragras as well. But they're definitely, like, as, as much as, like, there is this kind of cyclical element of death, death is just part of the natural cycle. Um, it's not, it, 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 it doesn't come close, to, it doesn't even come close to reincarnation, first of all, um, as far as I can tell. Um, there's, there has to be an end goal, you know, like, um, and beyond that, there are white shores. Um, there has to be some sort of, and we're, we're, death is not the actual end. Death is part of the, death is the end of this chapter. Firstly, like, you made a very good point, and it's very mm -hmm. much, like, in a letter, when Tolkien was asked, like, to explain what The Lord of the Rings was about, he was like, it's about death. <laughs> and then he, like, never explained that. So, it's, yeah, it's hugely relevant. I disagree with you about how much death as a gift is actually relevant here. Okay. Because death as a gift is very much, like, a Silmarillion framing, but that idea doesn't come up in The Lord of the Rings. Like, at no point in The Lord of the Rings is it ever said that death is a gift from Luvatar? And I think that, unlike the Silmarillion, where death is leaving the circles of the world, um, because the Lord of the Rings doesn't give you that same sort of metaphysical information, it's able to portray death through the idea of landscape and journey in a way that the Silmarillion and part of this is the perspective. Um, part of this is the fact that, yeah, for the elves' perspective and for, like, even men's perspective, Valinor is a place. But in the Fellowship of the Ring, Valinor is the, end, is the journey ending in death. Like, in the way it is portrayed and set up in The Lord of the Rings. Um, and I would argue that in this chapter very strongly, you also see Rivendell as like a pre-Valinor because it's from Hobbit's perspectives. Like obviously this wouldn't apply from Elrond's perspective, but that idea of Valinor as like a place where time kind of stops to matter, like it's the way Rivendell is described is very similar to how Tolkien describes like what being in Valinor as a is like it's in the, the letters. It's the last homely house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it also senses. means that like, like Rivendell, because of that, Rivendell acquires those connotations of death and journey's end in the Lord of the Rings in a way 
I agree. I think I definitely agree with that. necessarily think that like what it means 
to him is anything positive. So I just assume, based on the context of the, the line that comes after, that it's probably just all the negative things. Like he's leaving his beloved behind again, and maybe forever. Like it's, it's a big moment. But I mean, like, I feel like he's stressed because it could go either way. It's either the last time he sees Arwen or the first step to, like, being with her forever. I agree with you. I think it's, I think it's more negative weight than it is positive weight. Yeah. I don't, I've never seen somebody with their head on their knees because they were, thinking know, about excited. They might finally get married. <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's not thinking about it that way. Hey, Tristan. <laughs> <laughs> it must be that line specifically be more about Arwen than anything else because that's I guess the only thing people will know about. Yes. Yeah, I wonder how long the talk Arwen and Elon had before. Like King. I know we had a lot of talks, but this one is an important talk. <laughs> You're either gonna like save the world, become king of Gondor. Maybe be walks of my daughter.
a sense, he's probably trained every single one of them to be king of Gondor, even if he knew that they weren't going to be king of Gondor, right? Um, so maybe part of that discussion was you can finally marry Arwen when this is over. Uh, but I think also part of it was it's been a long time since we've talked about the fact that you're going to be king of Gondor and not just a ranger. But here we are again after all these years, sort of thing, right? So, like, I agree with you, but also, like, I don't, I think talking about one of those things is talking about all of them. That's true. Because they're all so strongly intertwined, both in Aragorn's family history and in, like, his personal. Yeah. I'm just saying that, like, there's, yeah. they are entwined, mm-hmm. but um, even with other people knowing that Aragorn is the heir to Gondor, they don't understand the burden yeah. that he's carrying the same way that Elrond does, because Elrond's been carrying it for his nephews for an age. <laughs> Could be a Bilbo. I've done a book. <laughs> <laughs> 
you will be able to keep a diary, Frodo, my lad, but I shall expect a full account when you get back. And don't be too long. Farewell. Thank <laughs> you. 
I, I also wonder how much um, um, Elrond's gift of foresight is coming out here, you know, um, just because this is exactly what happens. They do turn aside to other paths. Um, and it's like, how much did he, how much was it just like he calculated that's probably going to happen, and how much was it um, his gift of foresight? I was wondering that too, because it was like, I read that and I was like, in which Aragorn summarizes the plot of the next couple of books? <laughs> Did I say Aragorn? Aragorn? Sorry, I meant Elrond. Um, and also, like, he brings up chance, which is never chance, ever. And the further you go, the less easy will it be to withdraw, kind of like Sam, when he's told to go back. Oh, that wasn't exactly an easy thing to do when you're half up with Morgul stare. <laughs> um. Just turn around, go down with Morgul stare, and walk all the way back to the Shire. Like, I mean, that's what a jerk, Frodo. <laughs> yeah, that is only in the movies. <laughs> I mean, it actually, even though it's in the book, it happens immediately on the mountain. They they go up, and then they immediately have to try and find a new path. And it's not not like carrying or going back, but. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is going back. It is, it is going back. <laughs> the little immediate you. <laughs> Oops, wrong way. It's like when I miss my turn on the propeller and have to go through Calgary, and it's like, should I just should I just turn around and go back? Yeah. yeah. Also, like you you were the one who pointed out that like dwarves don't have the same problematic history with unbreakable oaths. Yeah, well, I don't know, I feel like Gimli's sitting here, like, because he knows the history, that we, we've talked about dwarves and their incredibly long memories before. Gimli knows why Elrond doesn't want anyone to take any oaths. He just doesn't feel like that personally applies to him. Um, <laughs> but, like, that, like, Faithless is you says farewell when the road darkens is kind of this, like, thing where he's, That's like... That's some dig at <laughs> No one would do that. This is just your own twisted family history that happened to shape the entire world, Elrond. <laughs> I know one of your foster fathers threw himself into, into a, a volcano, volcano because of an unbreakable <laughs> oath. <laughs> but we're gonna be fine. <laughs> The point is to throw ourselves into the volcano, don't worry. <laughs> no, but this time it's intentional. Gimli <laughs> <laughs> gets there, and, uh, and then the other thing that I feel like about this, though, is, like, there's a sense of Elrond, like, Elrond's growing paranoia as Gimli keeps saying things, where he just keeps, like, jumping into the conversation being like, no, no, stop, no. And like, before Gimli can get to being like, no, we should all take an oath, and I'm about to do it, and Ron is like,
save the little hobbits and go on his adventure. And he had to swim across the river after Frodo and Sam. I mean, they had to try to catch up. <laughs> <laughs> it has a body in it. They had three boats. Right? One, One of them a body. had a body. One of them was taken across the river. Gimli can take boat three. But... Also, didn't Frodo and Sam knock holes in the remaining boat? No. no. I think they put one up. I remember, I remember, I might be remembering wrong because it was a long time since I've read these books, but I think I remember that they find later, because the boats can't sink or something, they find later on a boat that went over the waterfall, like filled up with water, and they're all like. That's Boromir's boat. Is it? Yeah. It might be. Also, I mean, it could have filled up with waterfall because, you know. It went over a waterfall. <laughs> yeah, and that tends to do you know, strange things to the buoyancy of craft. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I feel like if Gimli had gone with Sam and Frodo, there would have been like a golem execution at some point. So much faster. Sitting it out into the windy window, it goes down, flows down the street. 
Brilliant. Yeah. Eats up Frodo, spits up the ring. Rings don't float. <laughs> no, but it'll, it'll, it'll slowly get washed out of there. I can't that's wait down. That's didn't like, in the end, do I? Yeah. <laughs> and that's a much bigger, faster river. <laughs> With the window, it takes years. And it had a body to provide buoyancy. Actually, no, it would fall off the body at that point. But. Yeah. Farmer Maggot finds the ring. <laughs> I feel like we're stressing. Okay, so, if Paragraph is the ring, since the ring like changes size and straight on the corner, does we get like this giant. <laughs> Seems like more of just a grumpy mountain that wants them to leave. Yeah, like I just—it's like related to Old Man Willow. Like, how much Old Man Willow is like 
not acting like a street because of the influence of the barrowings. And how much like Kara just like sure like Kara's not gonna like harass them further than its limits and even like not within Moria. But while they're on it, he's like, I could act as a mountain that is a bit hot because it's summer, like it's winter and like and and like obviously there will be snow. Or I could just try to bury them all in a snowstorm and kill them all slowly and they're like literally like too much snow for them to even survive. And build like a snow wall so they literally cannot pass. You know? Um, I guess we just know that that's not the case here because it stops harassing them and the weather breaks and everything's just fine and dandy as soon as they, they make the decision to go back and start walking back. But is that the beginning of the next chapter maybe? No, that's in this chapter. Yeah, I think it, like, I think it's really interesting that, that, like, we don't know because the people telling this story don't know. Like, they have this actual debate where, you know, they hear laughing, like, sounds, and then the stones are, like, targeted on them. And then Boromir says, let those call it the wind who will, there are fell voices on the air, and these stones are aimed at us. I do call it the wind, said Aragorn, but that does not make what you say untrue. There are many evil and unfriendly things in the world that have little love for those that go on two legs, and yet are not in league with Sauron, but have purposes of their own. Some have been in this world longer than he. Carathras was called the Cruel, and had an ill name, said Gimli, long years ago, when rumor of Sauron had not been heard in these lands. So, I'm wondering if that ties it back to the Falmar in some way. Because... The Balrog went underground after Morgoth's defeat, which is before Sauron was heard of in those lands. Um, the one counterpoint I have to that, though, is that the Balrog isn't underneath Carathras, it's underneath Xerxesigil, which is one of the other two mountains. Are we sure? Um, I guess not. I guess it could be like moving around, but like but if it's moving around, mountains would be yeah, like, affected. And Caragrass has a specific reputation. Yes, but that could just be because that's where the Balrog had been buried for ages upon ages. We don't actually know where in Moria the Balrog was before he awoke and said. Yes. Like you were more on fire. I would probably still argue that even if the Balrog is affecting it, it would be the way, like, you know, I don't know, you don't like having something unpleasant in your space kind of thing. Not that the Balrog is imbuing Karathras with its personality. Because the Balrog shouldn't strong enough to do that. Right. So a pet theory of mine has always been that the bottoms of these three mountains 
as the remnants of a tomb note, um, which was Melkor's very first fortress. Um, so, just because, you know, like, there's evil before Sauron came into the world, like, that's pretty dang old. Well, not before Sauron came into the world, but before Sauron was okay. captive in a region. Is that what's implied? Because what I got was, like, older than that. Um, no, it seems more like it was, like, before, like, like a before Sauron and Celebrant, like, Sauron came to Celebrant War, but... Here's the thing, though, is that Aragorn says evil and unfriendly. Like, if you're talking about Morgoth, you're not going to say evil and unfriendly, you're just going to go evil. Evil and unfriendly is, like... And also, like, that have little love for those that go on two legs, specifically. Like, that doesn't make, that doesn't really make sense to me if it's something that's in league with Morgoth. That sounds much more like Yavanna. Um, yeah. I would also say that, to the best of my recollection, I don't actually have a source for this. Atumna was further north than Angband? It, it, it was further north, but, like, the world's kind of changed, you know? Like... Things moved around since Atumna was a thing. Not Moria, though. Like, Moria, Moria exists is... in the Silmarillion. Yeah. Yeah, but Atumna was, like, before the First Age, eh? Like, it's yeah. not Angband. Um, I think there's there are still other entities. It was dis- Atumna was destroyed before the elves woke up. Well, I mean, it was in the Iron Mountains, but like I, that'd be a lot of moving. Yeah, I, I understand yeah. the problems. It's, <laughs> I, 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 I've been aware of them. Don't worry. Um, and wouldn't the dwarves recognize that they uncovered another city or something? Like they would have that in their in their legends. How because deep did they really go? You know. Uh, also consider. The, dwar- the dwarves delved too deep. Um, no, but like, that was the Arya re-delving. Durin the first, literally the first dwarf in the entire Went world. Went to the, the stairs, I know, the stairs. I, I, I'm aware. Also, okay. consider, though, that Aule would have known, even if the world was reshaped, where the remnants of Utumno were, and probably wouldn't have set Because 
why is the, why were there just like massive caverns for the Balrog to flee to, um, and why did the Balrog flee there? Because like Cause second major first age dwarves had already excavated them. Okay. <laughs> like Moria was already ancient in the Silmarillion, uh, like when dwarves yes. arrived, or when sorry when the Noldor arrived in Middle Earth, like. They only had like the oldest place, but it was like the oldest dwarf settlement and like really sacred. I submit to the collective. (laughs) Also, I just genuinely don't think that the Valar would let the remnants of Autumno be that present. It's it's possible to like just like cleanse a space of like the evil that's been in it. And we know that that's possible because they do it in wood. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, it doesn't take the Valar to do it. It doesn't take the Valar to pull it off. Galadriel pulls it off at the end. Like, it's one of the things that happens at the end, is Galadriel's part of the Mirkwood. Um, so I think that the Valar, in trying to destroy Atumno, would destroy it pretty thoroughly. Alright. When does this Galadriel cleansing? Galadriel goes to Dolgoldor and pulls it down. Um, as a, like after the events of Return of the King. It's in the appendices. Okay. I know. I mean, the appendix doesn't last. Like, one of the first things Legolas says is like... No, no, no. No, no, no this is after. Oh, sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. This is after Return of the King. Like, once Sauron has also been defeated, she just like waltzes in there, pulls Dulcolder down by herself. <laughs> Love Galadriel. So do I, yes. Further thoughts on Caradhras. I like the distinction that exists between Caradhras and the Stones of Holland, mm-hmm. where like the Stones of Holland are like the people who were here manipulated us, but like they did it well. Like they made us into things that we really liked being. And then there's the contrast between that and Caradhras, which is like you're not mounted. Get off. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of like the distinction between forests that are made like the distinction between the old forest and like trees in the shire the distinction between like the unpleasanter parts of Feanorn and the endwives approach to cultivation so yeah yeah it's just kind of like a further example of how not all human like I know it's elves and dwarves but like human activities towards nature are actually like bad in Middle-earth. Yep, you can cultivate rock, which is pretty cool. Yeah, no, that is a really notable thing about what the dwarves and the elves are doing in that area, too. And I also, like, I think it stands to reason that if nature can have opinions, then some of them need to just be wrong. Like, some people have no respect for, like, trees and, like, only see them as, like, the wood that they could be. And some mountains are like, oh, fuck you, you have two legs. Yeah. I feel like that's just necessary. Forest, or you know, nothing. Just 
pursue them. It's like, I just want you out. Get out of my property. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Her other ass is like, straight up, like, get off my lawn. Yeah. Shakes came. And don't care, doesn't care after what has happened. Thread and Galadriel lead an assault on the 
East Loy and not South Mackwood. Yeah. <laughs> Even though it's definitely South Mackwood, but <laughs> Calamon likes the name Loyan, so we stuck with it. analysis that can be done on this, but I like that of all the animals, whenever the, they're like, oh, spooky, all the animals are gone, Aragorn always notices that it's the birds. It's not like, oh, I haven't seen a rabbit in a fortnight. <laughs> it's always the birds, which I like, because a lot of small rodent animals are very visible, but it comes up here, and it came up when he first met the hobbits, so I, I think that Aragorn likes birds. <laughs> I'm just imagining now Aragorn be making bird calls yeah. as they're walking with the He's hobbits. got like a, a birder checklist. He can bird <laughs> yes. Oh my god. You know who actually does make bird calls, though? Faramir's rangers. It's true. But also, I love the idea that Aragorn has a birder checklist, and he has one for every region that he's, like, mapped out on this path 
shows up and can actually leave, so it's fine. Yeah. But also, like, she doesn't realize that she has to at first, so there's some confusion. Erica holds up the wrong hand, and she's like... <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, like, because they have no time to, uh, like, learn to all the way around. Like, it's like, okay, I'm gonna leave. It's gonna be fine. No one will notice. Everyone notices. And <laughs> like... Everyone notices. And, like, all of them in Rondor are immediately, like... This is the king. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, I'm sure he's the king. And everyone knows, like, he's a king, so I guess, like, we cannot say anything. And then, <laughs> so like, it becomes fashionable to, to dance the other way around. Yeah, yeah like, honestly, of course, like, 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 that's so many fans. She's an elf. Like, all of the Gondorian noble women would be trying to imitate everything she does. I mean, they would be doing it anyways because she's the king. Yeah. But it's, like, exacerbated by the fact that she's also an elf. Which means that if she leaves, women leave. Yeah. <laughs> I've been making weird social changes because everyone doesn't know how to dance. Because <laughs> <laughs> everyone's been living in the wild for too long. <laughs> like he did learn at one point, it was part of his education, but he spent the last 60 years riding horses and Yeah, and, er- not and Elrond's like winter refresher course was all like diplomacy. Um, how to like not let all of your like citizens die, and you didn't even think <laughs> about the fact that you didn't have to dance at his wedding. I'll just yeah, think. I just want to like go up to George R. R. Martin and be like, who cares about Aragorn's tax policy? Like, he marries Arwen, and she's the daughter of a leader, and she knows what she's doing. Yeah, it's, just, it's not going to be Aragorn's tax policy. Just going to be Aragorn's Also, just solidly the implication that Aragorn has no education in how to rule people is. Well, yeah. 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 Like, he has literally somebody who's been alive for all of the good and bad tax policies being like, <laughs> so. <laughs> Let me tell you the times that didn't work. Let me tell you in which context it worked, but this was a really specific context, but you're going to know when nothing comes to until like the next age, so please don't do that right off the bat. Yeah, Note, like, this tax policy works, but only specifically when you are being attacked by Sauron. So hopefully that'll be fine. <laughs> don't institute income tax, really. You want people to earn income tax and things you don't want them to have, like... Orc helmets? But tell me what your citizens to have. <laughs> tax pipe weed, yes. But authorized. I think it's 
super funny because even in this one, Gandalf is just like, I just want to warm my feet and smoke pipe weed. And I'm like, there's no way Gandalf quit smoking when he goes to get Valinor. Like, he's not going. He's going to show up and, like, all of the Valar and Maiar and elves are going to be like, oh, Lord, what are you doing? And he's like, enjoying my life. (laughs) Go away. I also appreciate that Saruman was like, judging him for all the pipe weed smoking and then immediately turns around and gets pipe weed. He's like, what is so good about this? Gets hooked on pipe weed. just tobacco. It can't, it can't be tobacco. It seems far more wholesome and less addictive. I mean, it maybe seems not. just as addictive. Okay. Yeah. But it seems less carcinogenic. Uh, it definitely seems less carcinogenic. How would um, they know if they had cancer? They would you die. You would, but they lived too long. The evil spirits got you. Because they're not high. <laughs> no. I mean, if I, if 
200s, maybe there's something there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just, let's, let's be careful about the terminology. What? It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> this is all going to cut out anyway. <laughs>